Gentlemen, I'm delighted to be back on Gallifrey. Oh, I like it. Yes, I like you. Where are you from, soldier? Gallifrey. Gallifrey? Never heard of it. pull off a simple rebellion, what can you pull off? Hello everyone, and welcome to the Hoovian Review. I'm Michael. I'm Shelby. I am still Jeremy, as far as I'm aware. And I'm other Jeremy. And last, and I hope not least, I'm Colin. Never least. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the invasion of time. Time, time, time. Time, time. <laughs> Yes, the invasion of time is the well is actually the ultimate <laughs> adventure with Leela, the final one. Time. Yeah, and Kenai Mach One. Yep, they have six episodes. The final end credits sequence also brings back the middle eight part, which I love. And since it's the invasion of time, they are going through a bunch of gardens because naturally they're growing a bunch of time. But the invasion really only happens in the last two episodes, right? So there's there's kind of another invasion that's kind of trying to go on before that as well. Okay, so I I, I realize that this is probably not historically the most popular classic Doctor Who episode, but I actually love what they did with the plot. Asterisk. As always, I'm against extending things artificially just to, you know, make a point or, you know, to fill the time slot. But they did that a lot in this era. And that aside, I felt like doing the four episodes with the surprise ending probably shocked everybody Mm -hmm. at the time that it was keep going. And I thought it was really cool because you did. You had this whole plot and, you know, Gallifrey, a lot of insight into that and the doctor acting crazy and we've got these crazy mind reading energy entities, you know, apparently coming in storming and then the doctor wins and everything's great and you think it's over and then, oh wait, it was just a front that the Centaurans used in order to get in here and actually take over. And I thought that was one of the biggest, like, surprises that I've ever seen in Doctor Who. <laughs> it was a surprise, but unfortunately it led to two episodes that I felt could have been skipped, and we could have just dealt with these other characters that we already had. No, no, what, what, what did you hate the most? Was it the, the goth Vader Sintarin? The, the last two episodes, are you talking about the last two episodes? Were yes. Lost? Yeah. The first, four, was... the first four episodes, in my opinion, actually were decently solid. Oh, they were great. Um, they had a lot of humor. They, the Doctor was act, acting erratic. I did have a problem with the transduction barrier being so easy to destroy um, because you'd think that the Time Lords would probably put a little bit more effort into securing such a thing. You, you'd I think, think when you have it's... such a, you know, quote-unquote master of time, such a such a things are kind of trivial in the grand scheme. I mean, and also the Time Lords are, are pretty pompous. I mean, I could see them going, well, no one will ever get in here to mess with this. Mm-hmm. They could never get through our force fields. Yeah, but if you fast-forward to Day of the Doctor, you see that the Time Lord forces are quite good at securing their own Probably because of what happened here. (laughs) Possibly. I mean, hey, if they invited all of those, like, savage Gallifreyans from outside to come live with them in Citadel and work under Andred, I feel like they could get a pretty good force going. Andred was kind of an interesting character. I'll give him credit. Um, But I I don't know. I just... It felt like, for me, when I first saw this story... I, I really was kind of riveted by the first four episodes, and then I felt just completely disappointed. First of all, I didn't think the Centaurans were all that spectacular. They're very slow. They're very... Except for the one... Yeah, that, I, I think they had been introduced before. They, they, they had been. Yes, but they, they didn't been. have the old yep. goth Vader thing going before. Oh, I had seen them in, in plenty of stories before, because I had seen everything that the Third Doctor and the Sixth Doctor had 
so basically any Centauran story that had come before or after, I'd already seen it at this point. Um, and they didn't have the, the dark black around their eyes and lips, and they didn't do that really irritating way of speaking. I don't know. Yeah, like that, that was all confined to this, and I agree that that was pretty awful, but... I think that the Centaurans themselves being, you know, in there and orchestrating it was kind of cool. I mean, it sort of pops them up to like a higher level of like badass villain. And, you know, as a race that's totally focused on war, I mean, it makes sense that they would be good at war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got to give them props to that. But I feel aligned with Michael um, a lot over here, too, because I really enjoyed the first four episodes. And I almost felt like, you know, the problem being thwarted with the Vardans, um, you know, it's just kind of like a, it just seems like a complete misdirect. It seems like a non-sequitur. It's like, oh, Centaurans, and going into, it really felt like it changed the vibe and the feeling of well, the episode. Well, also the Vardans were kind of interesting. They, they seemed like an interesting race of characters that you could have expanded upon and actually had come back if they had been these more powerful beings that could invade Gallifrey. Right. I mean, like, they can read minds unless you're in case of lead. We could pull in a whole, you know, lead helmet kind of situation. Exactly. And for them to just have these... For them to not be able to read the minds of the Centaurans to figure out, oh, the Centaurans are using us to get into Gallifrey themselves. Now, they might have been wearing lead helmets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Possibly. I don't well, know. I don't but... know if they really have that much going on. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I agree, but I just it just seemed a little bit far fetched that these the Vardens were were taken advantage of by the Centaurans. Well, I would imagine, and this is you know steel man in this for the writers. I would imagine that the Centaurans only communicated with them remotely, and they maybe can't read minds you know across vast distances. Yeah, this is true, and the, that may have been the way the Centaurans kind of kept their distance so that they wouldn't be read. But you're right. It should have been explained. It should have been addressed. I, yes. I, I would say, for me, the Vardens always felt like a a, um, a Trojan-like character, mm-hmm. uh, a group. Trojan horse? Yes. And, well, Trojan... Yeah, but I mean, more like, not just Trojan horse, but like... Well, the, the, the Centaurans were the Trojans in this. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> well, what I meant to say is that... Or, they, they were, you're right, Trojan horse and the, the Trojans. What I meant to say is that basically the way they were even designed, glowing just constantly, not really much else put into I mean, yes, it is a special effects thing, but it's not a difficult one to do, even back then. So I was like, you're a shoe. And I, I couldn't even care about them because I was like, you're not the real enemy here. And I'm, and I kept going, like, we're almost four episodes in and you're not the real enemy. Like, did, wait, did you know that? Yeah, I knew that. Okay, so uh, you no, no, just no. knew beforehand that... No, this... no, I knew by looking at them. Oh. Their design meant that they were not the real deal. Interesting, I did not pick up on that. I picked up on that in like a, the, for the minutes, I'm like, this is very lazy for Doctor Who. Like, I've seen... I, I think this might be your skills as a graphical designer. <laughs> you like, oh. So, but it's just, I looked at that and I said, I can't care about this character. There's someone else. It, there is someone behind the emerald, uh, you know, curtain. Now, now I'm just waiting for that. I'm like, oh, there they are. Four episodes in. We got two. Okay. <laughs> well, there were the, the four uh, individuals in, like, the egg metal chairs at the beginning that the doctor signed a contract with. Them. Those were the Vardens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so it was like, that's a little interesting, but it sort of led the doctor to go to Gallifrey, mm-hmm. uh, come up with a bunch of weird stuff for random people to do while proclaiming his right as uh, being the president. president. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was all very calculated. I, I, I love that part, and, and it had the humor to back it up, and you never really knew what was going on in the doctor's mind the entire time, which mm-hmm. was the best part. I love the part where Leela's, you know, kind of running around hiding and she sees the doctor just like playing hopscotch with himself. And, you know, she realizes like, okay, good. The doctor's in control. He's just messing with everyone. And (laughs) that was just a great moment. And we see that a lot, actually, with Leela, especially in this story where, you know, she and the doctor just work so well together. And she actually, you know, obeys him and understands what he wants. You know, I would have to give props to Tom Baker in this in this story too because he is playing both sides. So he has to make it a little bit less 
obvious that he isn't doing something evil. And the last time he was on Gallifrey, he was, of course, um, charged with killing the Lord President at that point. So here well, he is. But, and then he got uh, became president-elect. Yes. And so now he's coming back and lording it over <laughs> his fellow Time Lords that he is the president and or is going to claim the presidency again. And so, and the way he does it just seems rather ridiculous. But then letting Gallifrey fall to these Varden creatures is just like, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> but it did bring in two really fantastic characters, Barusa and the Castellan. Now, Castellan, just like classic sniveling, and like that guy Robling. changed teams like five times <laughs> in this, like, and just like, oh, your excellency, I will serve you, I will serve you. And then, oh, there's a new excellency, oh, well, let me go over there and serve them. Like, and he just like... Very accommodating. Yeah, he offered up information <laughs> that he really didn't have to, like, it was like, you can't, like, conspire with everyone, man. Come on. And then Barusa, so. you know, who's sitting there and you kind of think, oh, man, this guy's going to be trouble, but he's actually you know the one helping out the doctor with that hilarious lock on his door (laughs) oh yes can't remember the exact phrasing but something about yeah there's nothing more useless than a voice activated door lock or something like that yeah a lock with a voice well it seems like it seems like the doctor was just trying to figure that out by sort of uh thinking of being the lord president from before and was like what would I do if I were the Lord President? I would come up with a really weird uh, password for it. No, no, that was Barusa's password. And when the uh, doctor first tries to get into the room, one of the most famous Doctor Who scenes of all time, where he actually uses a sonic screwdriver and says, even the sonic screwdriver won't get me out of this one. And that one is classic Doctor Who. I mean, that is shown in so many documentaries and things of that nature. It's uncanny. But he breaks the fourth wall in this. Matter of fact, Andred breaks the fourth wall in this story as well when he says, I should become this. (laughs) Yeah, although I don't know if that was meant to be breaking the fourth wall or just him looking. He was looking directly at us. He looked directly at the camera. Yes. (laughs) Whenever I see those looking directly at the camera ones, because that's... Uh, one no, I mean, back then it should have been one oh one for cinematography. You do not let the actor ever look at the camera. Yeah, and I do feel How like ending the whole episode with the doctor just looking at the camera, laughing. Now, okay, so <laughs> hey, he's got canine mark too. So honestly, like there are a few characters out there in the zeitgeist that I feel like it's okay for them to break fourth wall. I feel like the doctor's one of them. Mm-hmm. I feel like Rick Sanchez is another one. You know, this sort of like genius scientists out there who could like feasibly understand that they're well, yes, you know. Rick Sanchez have totally. I mean. Not to go off on another tangent thing, but um, Rick Sanchez definitely knows. <laughs> well, yeah, he, he breaks fourth wall all the time. But, like, yeah. you know, my point is this, this would be, like, a similar type situation. It's like, if the doctor breaks fourth wall a little bit, I'm kind of like, okay, but Andred? Uh, <laughs> I'm less okay with that one. I, I, I know that that probably sounds really stupid, but... <laughs> what did everybody think of Andred? Who? <laughs> the one Leela ends up with. The captain of the guard. Um, I don't think he was inspiring enough to justify her prompt exit. I don't think so either. Although, that was you know, and, and the first time I watched this, I was like, what? They, like, didn't spend any time together or anything. But mm-hmm. watching it this time, I was trying to, like, look and give it a more forgiving eye. And I still think they didn't spend enough time together and didn't have <laughs> enough going on. But... There did have some moments where Andred really stood up to her and actually, like, held his own against Leela, which we see consistently never happens before this point. She goes up against everyone. Like, and even later, she's going up against the whole village of, you know, the non-Time Lord Gallifreyans and immediately, like, takes over and stuff. And that's just (laughs) Leela's way. And to have someone who can actually, like match her, I think, is is pretty massive for Leela. Yeah, so. some, a lot of that just went over my head. I don't think it was like a... It wasn't done well. wasn't. And like I said, I was trying to yeah. be generous. Yeah, the biggest thing that I saw was like, wow, he can definitely throw some furniture at some centaurants. Do, do you want to know I didn't even realize he was there until she held his hand? Like, I mean, I wouldn't or no, when he comes up injured, that's when I recognized him. Like, I, I actually, like, oh... One of the guys got injured. Okay, that's the only time I really write. Yeah, but like, remember in the first episode where he's, he like asleep? maybe <laughs> where like he has to you know take care of Lila while the doctor's preparing for his induction thing, and he's oh, trying right. to get her to wear you know a fancy outfit, and she's like no, and then he tries to get the knife from her, and you know they they have several moments there where they you know play off each other really nicely. I totally forgot he existed. <laughs> 
and begin. Wow. We were also introduced to another time lady, um, which is kind of unique. Rodan. Rodan. And um, she's... I think she's kind of like the precursor to Romana, since this is only one up, one story before Romana actually comes into play. But um, if you took Rodan and just put her in the key to time, I think she would probably fit in just fine. Yeah, they're they're very very similar characters. Mm-hmm. This is of course Romana one we're talking about. Yes, but I think Rodan um, definitely had some great one-liners, uh, especially in her first episode when Leela's first there and gets zapped by the the defense wall. <laughs> I don't think that she's as strong of a time lady or person as oh, yeah, Romana, no, no. so I, I, I think that that wouldn't... But you're right, there are definitely a lot of personality similarities and even look similarities. Yes. Oh, God, I didn't... I, I, thought, I thought it was. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, so she's going to go on the TARDIS now. I'm like, wait, wait, but that... But she's supposed to go... <laughs> I could see that there there would be a decent uh, little because uh, there was a little side story with Leela and Rodan where of course Rodan and Leela get kicked out of the city and yeah, I think that R- was actually Rodan kind of would, was pretty much you know out of her depth she would she would not have made it without Leela oh I know yeah. and that but that but that made an interesting duo to have oh, yeah. the the elitist time lady who's like in charge of security and and knows everything that she needs to know as at least she thinks. And you have Leela, the complete opposite, and more of a warrior, and as someone who can look after her own, but might not know all the mathematical genius stuff that Rodan does. Yeah, I mean, Rodan is definitely very intelligent. I wouldn't call her a genius, even though she'd probably call herself that, but, like, (laughs) opening up that security barrier after having a two-minute conversation with an alien that you know the entire Citadel is chasing down, like... What? <laughs> That's fun. I like that. That's Dr. X. She likes Leela. Well, yeah, but... It, <laughs> it wasn't her responsibility to chase down Leela. Yeah, yeah, but, like, you know, she didn't have to grant Leela access to the, you know, some of those pivotal security measures on the planet. But she could, and she chose to. Yeah, and that was, you know, it worked out well for the story, but it was, frankly, a very bad decision. Like... Most times, that would not go well. <laughs> yeah, but I think from her perspective, it would still go more interestingly. Mm, maybe. Um, and that's what I kind of see is, like, like the doctor, like, ultimately in all his wisdom and other things, like, I feel like most of his faults and most of his risky moves come down to him being bored. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day. And, and so I, I feel like that's a very, very much a Time Lord thing and characteristic, which made me feel like this character is a Time Lord. Was the plot, or was it ever covered up? Because I know some of the Time Lords were sort of banished to the outskirts of Gallifrey, or like outside in the, the sandy dunes, or, um, like, did they ever mention that? Uh, I know we sort of watched it a little out of order, but I, I thought they banished that one Time Lord, and, like, um, it was like, yeah, we're we're thinking up a rebellion, but like you you have to go to avoid suspicion and all that so far. And just never seen from ever again. So. Yeah, that was interesting. They kind of dropped that. They could have shown him outside struggling or trying to join up with somebody. Yeah, Who I knows? I don't think it was ever really touched upon again, but um that leads me to another couple of issues, uh, flubs, actually, I should say. One was the um, the continuity issue in episode one, where the Doctor has his scarf on when he's talking to the Vardons, Vardons. But when he walks back into the TARDIS, his scarf is surprisingly off and hung up on the scar- or the coat rack that's in there. Uh, that was kind of an obvious, like, wait a minute. How did the scarf dematerialize off the Doctor and into the TARDIS? And then there was the Centauran, like, tripping over that one chair. And the fact that they didn't redo that take, like, I I feel like they weren't trying to have uh, Andrew break the fourth wall. He just accidentally looked at the camera and they were like, eh, it's good enough. Well, also, I think kind of gave it kind of like he was in a hurry to, and he doesn't care about a chair in the way. He just wants to bold right through it. So I, And then when he, like, sense. fell and gently tumbled into place, that was yep. pretty funny. Yeah, it worked out, I think, in that regard. But that was another flub that I was thinking of. The design of that plant that ate the one centaurin was... <laughs> there were some interesting choices made there. That was just like... I, I, Okay. The fact that the doctor has this on board is TARDIS. Yeah. I mean, he looked at it and smiled too. It was like, I know what I'm going to do today. 
At least Doctor Who made fun of itself in the fact that all the corridors that they walked down all look the same, and they actually say, weren't we here? Deja vu? Oh my gosh, weren't we already in this place? No, I think it was actually... <laughs> I don't think that was a very charming part of the story. I feel like a, a lot of the same corridors makes for a boring, you know, more drawn-out... Oh, granted, it doesn't even look like the TARDIS at this point. Okay, well, I, I, for one, just like generally granted execution, but I like stories where people explore the TARDIS more. I feel like it's, Mm -hmm. you know, an untapped thing there, and it it is very cool. Also, and maybe this is just me, but I didn't interpret it as them going to different corridors and it being a different thing. I interpreted it as the Doctor is straight up wrong. They actually are literally going to the same place because the TARDIS has space-looped them in order to throw off the intruders. Oh, I... That makes sense with the doors because everybody goes in the same door and ends up in the same exact room right. at, they, they, afterwards. They make comments yeah. throughout the whole thing about how it's not stable. But I thought the idea was that it was two. They were multiple levels, but they all looked the same. I that, that to me, I took I took what Michael said, and basically, I always viewed it as everything looks the same, so you never can tell where you're. You, so you know when you go down those halls in in a business office, and you're like, I'm. Did I literally go down this hall? You didn't. But they all look the same, so you, you you feel like you did, which is what I was thinking of, and I thought it made it funny a bit. Plus, I'm again just looking at it from a production standpoint of okay, guys, go back up there, walk in, do your next take, and this time you're on the next level. <laughs> and that was an unfortunate uh, side effect of episodes five and six, is that you had multiple staircase scenes and multiple views of people walking down the same set of stairs over and over and over. A lot of pool time on the TARDIS here. Yeah, well, I I do like the idea of having more uh, more rooms to explore, but make them rooms that you would expect to see in the TARDIS. Did it show what Barutha was reading in the pool room? Because he was, like, glancing through a magazine, and the doctor's like, oh, yeah, I forgot that was there. I think he. I think that was about the Titanic because it um, looked like it was, and and the doctor even says, "Oh, that wasn't me." <laughs> so, uh, I just thought that was kind of funny. But I, yeah, there were little bits and pieces that that worked well in in some of the well thought out moments, and I think there the dynamic between the doctor and Barusa really kind of was interesting because you had a lot of dialogue between them, where the doctor's either berating him or the doctor's. Congratulating him, the doctor's thanking him. The doctor is like, "Oh my God, you're the best person ever!" Oh my God, Bruce, you're the no, worst person ever. It's, it's, it's very one-sided dialogue. <laughs> it's just like, well, yeah, it just seemed like, well, no, no Bruce no. got some good quips in there. No, it, it was it was really good. I mean, I liked all of the like. You really got to see a lot more of Gallifrey and the Citadel that. I felt, you know, maybe almost like, oh, we kind of could have seen more of that the last time the Doctor was there, you know? Yeah, I think, and also it would have been nice that if Arusa at that point had been played, or in both points, was played by the same actor, because it would have had a lot more continuity. Um, There was no continuity between any of the characters from the previous Gallifrey story and this one. Although, to be fair, if you were in charge and all of that went down in the Deadly Assassin, would you really have let all those people continue to work for you? <laughs> uh, true. Um, however, it would have just been nice to have someone. Yeah, it, it Anybody. Even if you just had one of the guards that happened to be there. I don't know. I don't know. They could have had <laughs> some of the same guards. I wouldn't know. I mean, maybe enough time passed that they, they had a regeneration or two in between. True. I will say this. Barusa in this story was far better than Barusa in Deadly Assassin, which is unusual because almost every other character in Deadly Assassin was better than every other character <laughs> in Invasion in Time. I don't know. I like the castellan. He was so believably slimy. Like he, he, like the actor did a really good job with it. Like you just he watch did. him. He's totally ridiculous. The things he's doing, but it's like, wow, I really buy that you're that cowardly and mm-hmm. you know cowardly, awful of a yes. person. I don't think he was even slimy. I think he was just literally cower a coward. Oh yeah. And very passive. He was a pacifist, just like any Gallifrey. Oh, he passive aggressive. No, no, no. no. He. he- he, yeah, you're right. He's not. He's a pacifist only to his benefit. 
Yeah, he holds well, yeah. up a flag of pacifism right. to give him excuses like, to do bad things. A real pacifist. No, no, I would, agree. A real pacifist would not have helped others. Not, not to the degree. No, that he did. they just would have been like hell, higher water. Like I can't do anything. But when he count, when they got around to it, he he did not have to pull his arm. And now at one point he's like, yes, I'll just help you now." I'm like, at one point he was acting like he was going to be trying to be difficult. But then he's like, nah, you know what? I see where the I see where the wind's blowing. I'll help you. Though I think that he was a little bit of an inconsistent character. Yes. At the start, he seemed uh, like he he had was just like that his power got to him, and then he was sort of just like, oh yes, I'll do all this for you, uh, Lord High Council. And then just like after that, he gets this bit of evidence that the doctor was saying stuff to himself, and he's like, hmm. So I thought he was gonna like frame the doctor and that he'd be slimy but then in the next moment he just didn't do anything with that he's like yes i saw you doing this uh not going to mention it ever again also a rebellion happened well i mean i think that he probably was holding on to it to blackmail him with later like he seems like that type of person like he's not gonna do anything that could you know turn out bad for him heaven forbid yeah, well, he tried to outdo Barusa. He's like, yes, I will get my most skilled workman to craft you a new room in this Earth 4332 style. Right, and like, so the doctor with that got a lead-lined room, managed to execute his authority, got the Castellan out of the way, mm-hmm. and, you know, got Barusa off his trail. Like, it was a pretty brilliant move. Hey, by the way, I just wanted to point out the guy who plays Castellan Kellner, who is a very established actor named Milton Johns, was in Doctor Who during the Tom Baker era before. And he played Guy Crayford in The Android Invasion, which is one of the main characters Mm. in that story. Mm. So when we get to that season, you'll get to see him all over again. And does he play a similar role? Well, we'll have to find out when we get to the story. (laughs) It kind of alludes to him playing a similar role. <laughs> I mean, he does have that look. <laughs> well, so, at any rate, for me, the thing about this was this entire story arc was just—I mean, I guess it got violent. For <laughs> a lot of people died. <laughs> I mean, and, and and the doctors are sitting there like, Mila, bravo, doing more damage, and then the doctor makes a gun and shoots two. Not once. No, no. This was not the doctor we usually have, which talks his way around things and does stuff like this. It's like, it's like no, this is my Gallifrey. I'm like, are you the war doctor? Like, <laughs> how did he lose his memories? Oh, I think I think that, that, that's, that's my biggest problem. Oh, it's because of the it's the DMAC gun. Yeah, the DMAC gun was it's a time gun, yeah. so it obviously brought him back in time. But no, I thought he was just kind of messing with people the same way he was messing with everybody like during the oh I'm an evil doctor. So what, what, what do you mean it was a t- like he shot once in Tarn and yeah. nothing happened and then he shot the second one and then he passed no, they both, they both out. I thought it was just like the doctor like no. shirking responsibility as the president no, no. again like oh I don't know what's going on sorry but, good to but, see him thanks Shelby, I guess I saved the day. Michael what, what Shelby's getting at is he should lost it he should have gone back in time or timey wimey himself. When he shot the first, the first Suntaran, but instead it was after the second Suntaran, only because he was higher rank, I guess. Well, no, the other possibility is that there was a bomb that the other Suntaran had in his hand yeah. the second time round. Right. So if that detonated, that may have had an effect on the gun's ray going back and hitting the doctor. It's I, the only thing I could think of. Because if you see, when you see him hit the first Suntaran, it basically just disappears. When it hits the second Centauran, you see a huge flash before it disappears. So I have a feeling that the bomb was just about to go off, and the gun kind of contains it, but doesn't contain it enough to not affect the Doctor. That's how I perceived it when okay. I first saw the story. Mm. I, I could be wrong, I don't know what their intentions were, but that's the only explanation I can I really have. was perceiving it as the Doctor, like, oh, oh, I don't know what's going on here, this is a good way to just... Take my exit. Well, I just took it as he had his memory wiped through that whole process and basically was right at the beginning, which was to help the count the chancellor be like, well, secret's still safe. No one knows anything. <laughs> yes, just like in The Deadly Assassin, they cover it all up. Mind you, though, at that point, my brain's like, but the keys is 
laying on the ground or why wouldn't they like they, they didn't go over they, like I wanted the scene so bad where a transfer walked over and said here's the key pick it up lean over pick it up and just like whistle <laughs> like do something discreet. Honestly, I kind of interpreted it as like the the person I think Rodan who made it was under hypnosis while making it, so some of that still got carried over to the doctor while he was shooting various people. But the doctor was the one that hypnotized her. Rodan or Roman? I'm confused. Rodan. Or yeah, Rodan. Yeah. I I have a I do have an issue with the key at the end though too. Is that they didn't actually show anything happen to it. So no, it could have just been randomly picked up by anyone. Yep. It could have just been left there. Nobody would have cared. I mean, obviously, Barusa would, because he'd be like, where's the key? Yeah, does, is it just in the doctor's TARDIS now? Well, I mean, when the doctor gets up, he's being like, oh, there's a key right here. Like, th- this is the doctor. The first thing I would think you do is like, ooh, key. It would have made sense for him to pick it up and then give it to Barusa, or just to do something yeah. funny with it that would... Be like, oh, I wonder what this is right in front of Barusa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then Barusa's like, I'll take that. Oh, did some did anyone lose a key? And like that would have been great. Like a little line like Yeah. Definitely. Maybe it'll be a key point in a, a Time Lord Victorious. I love that line. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Alright. I also have to say that I still don't really understand the doctor's original plan. Like, why <laughs> was it a good idea to punch a hole in the force field? Like, <laughs> that did not seem worth it. <laughs> like, what, what? He had to make sure that they would trust him. But, but the plot point of this of this whole thing where the Doctor actually does let the Gallifrey's guard down, so to speak, does not compute with a lot of fans. And I'll back that one up. Yeah, it does seem a, a little convoluted. It's a big plot hole in this whole thing. Like Why a- would the Doctor go to such great lengths to destroy his own home planet when he's trying to save it. At the well, same time. I mean, to be fair, they do address it, but sort of. it's not addressed well. <laughs> Maybe he channeled his inner master to play the, the villain this time. I mean, I yeah, we he... saw him do hypnosis. We <laughs> saw him take over Gallifrey. You're going to be onto something. <sighs> well, he does, his, the master was his best friend, so you never know. But also just different topic on it. I thought that the goodbye scene between him and Lilo was really sweet where she says she'll miss him and then he goes inside because he can't say it to her face mm-hmm. that he'll miss her too. Oh. I guess. Yeah, but then I, it was a little weird when he went up this uh, flat and, and abrupt to like K-9 Mark II and was like smiles to the camera. It's like, wait, what? I, I thought it was very abrupt and I think, I, I do like when when Leela or when the doctor does go inside the TARDIS and just kind of hugs the doors as he's closing them. Yeah. But, because he can't say anything, but even Louise Jameson and Tom Baker didn't like the exit. But I think the pro- one of the problems was is that Tom Baker and Louise Jameson, while they were on the show, were not the best of friends. Um, they weren't. It wasn't Elizabeth Slayton, which Tom Baker loved, um, and so going from Liz to Louise was a big challenge for Tom Baker. And so they had a lot of intense moments on set that don't really show up because they are good actors. But um, it kind of made it difficult for there to be a real decent goodbye between Leela and the Doctor. And you don't spend two, approximately maybe 20 seconds on the goodbye. Uh, it, it seems like they could have done a better job. Oh, that, good, that goodbye was the... Most awkward goodbye I've ever seen in the Doctor Who. I mean, Mel Bush gets a better goodbye than Leela, and that's just sad. Leela goes and just, like, puts her arm backwards just behind her, like, I don't even really want to look at this person, but I'm going to be like, hey, give me your hand. All right, this is my reason. This is, this is, this is why I'm leaving. Like, I mean... You could have acted a little bit more emotionally invested, but no. I she was just looking for an excuse. Just yeah. too on the back end of that as well. It's just like a oh, connection with mistress. Well, I mean, he did have a better connection oh, with he Leela. Had, he had the best. He had the best. Like, uh, no, I'm done with this nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> K and I was just like, or was he? he and how did he get him off too? 
Yeah, I, like did he just like write that Scottish dude? And, well, a lot of fan theories is that yeah. he built the second model just so he'd have it in case something happened to the first one. Yeah, and he he made himself a cardboard box with that name and printing on it and branding just yeah. so you know well, he could yeah. have a nice fourth wall moment as the Doctor knew was coming. And he already has a downloaded memory circuit for the new canine to ha- retain everything that he had before. So. Well, that makes it more interesting. Though for Louise Jameson's exit, honestly, I thought uh, that she would be like, I found my people with like the Time Lords who uh, were, I don't know if they were cast away. I think they said that they abandoned the Citadel. To that would have made more sense. That would have made more sense. And it would have made more sense because she sort of bonded with them and was like, let's set up a rebellion and, as, as their sort of leader. So maybe they would have wanted to adopt her as the leader. But like then it was just like, yeah, goodbye now. <laughs> well, I think we've come to the rating of this story. Who'd like to start? Oh, I can well, do. Go, rock, Jeremy. Rock, 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 paper, scissors. Rock, rock paper, paper, scissors, shoot. All right. All right, Jeremy goes first. Wait, wait, wait that was for me to go first. Yeah. Yeah, no. Winner gets to go first. Colin goes first. <sighs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, first. That was not established beforehand. We oh. we knew was, we knew. Yeah, uh, well, winner gets preference. I think is yeah. established. Okay, so what you, what's your preference? Oh, so now now the pressure's on me. Okay, so now now I'm feeling the pressure. All right, I'll jump into my rating if I must, um, and I will. But honestly, I thought this was a fantastic four parter with an unfortunate two episodes that it suffered from um, in the end. I think there was a really fantastic spark of an idea that led us into this really fantastical Time Lord lore um, mixed with the Doctor uh, seizing grand power and having a bit of an evil streak behind him, too. That was fun. That was enthralling. A guilty pleasure of mine. It was good stuff. And then I really felt like the Centaurans were just shoehorned in at the end. I love me some TARDIS episodes, too, but it really just, you know, came down to them going around the same corridors again and again, you know, tripping over some pool furniture, you know, from time to time, and then the doctor going around with a sniper rifle and picking people off one by one to tie it together. It it felt like it devolved into more silliness as time went on, and, you know, I don't think the exit of K-9 or the companion... Uh, Leela was really dealt with great justice. Um, there's a lot to love here, but it felt confused and not executed very well. It felt rushed in some ways without having much more to say, you know, at the very end. Um, but all that being said, I really did enjoy this experience all in all. I'm giving it an 8 out of 10. Whoa. Okay. Well, so, <laughs> so for my rating, uh, I would have to say I, I'd have to rate like the four part section differently to the, the last two episodes. Okay, but you do have to give a total rating. Well, end. of course, um, but like the first four episodes were, especially the first episode, like the the composition and the editing were just on point. Like uh, it, it felt like straight out of the, the Monty Python when it came to comedic timing and all that. Um, but sort of that that died down towards like the fourth episode and then it went to a more serious uh, plot and then after that it just sort of got all convoluted Um, so it was just like this weird progression of the story where it was going uphill and it plateaued and then it just sank down for the last two episodes Um, so but like at at the good high points I would definitely rate it like a 9 out of 10 but then it sort of averages back out when you count the two other episodes, which make, like, a, I don't know, a five or so out of ten. Mm-hmm. So I have to say, to meet in the middle, probably like a 6.7 out of ten. Mm-hmm. All right. For me, I wa- started watching the first episode and thinking to myself, okay, this is just going to... I we I just knew, like... The, all the the nods and hints that I could see, way in which characters were designed, the way things were acting, it's just like I didn't feel any reason to get invested into the story yet. Like I was waiting for the other shoe to drop, and it lasted for four episodes of that. 
And until then, I didn't feel any sort of reason to get invested in anything at all that was going on. It was... Now, mind you, the bits were fun. There were a lot of fun bits. And interesting, like, character interactions. You know, um... Is it Romain? Roman? Rodan? Rodan. Rodan. Rodan, thank you. Um, Rodan was was an interesting character to see. I thought she was going to go on the TARDIS, but that's because she looked a lot like... Romana. <laughs> she really, really... I, I thought she was Romana. The entire time, I'm like, oh, this is Rom- Rom- Romana, Rodan now. Starts with an R. That does not help me. <laughs> so, um... Row, 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 you're not Romana. Anyways, the point is that eventually I was watching the bits and watching all the fun bits and not being invested in a darn thing otherwise. And then we had the Zentarans, and I was like, okay, now things are going to pick up. Then I, I felt like it got wacky in the ways I really like it. But it seems that I'm the only one who found that interesting, although I didn't like when he took his helmet off. At that point, I, it lost me again, because goth centaurin is just not something we need in this world. And then I just, it, it, it kept going, kept being funny, kept being silly, but that ending could not have hit flatter <laughs> if it tried. Like, you, you cannot build that kind of uh, lack of chemistry, emotional interaction, or anything. No one had interaction. Even when Leela like says, "This is my reason." Like it was so deadpan. There, nothing. Again, as I think we said, a canine had the most emotional response out of anyone at that point. I could buy like peace. I'm done with this. So for me, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm stuck in a in a quandary. On one balance side, I like it. For all the little bits that were fun. All the Monty Python-y stuff that was going on. But on the other hand... It didn't really, I felt, feel get itself, like, really cohesively put together. <laughs> so, six. Alright. Um, I do want to point out that Leela's never been one for emotional displays. I felt like the amount of emotion that she displayed was pretty par for the course for her. Mm-hmm. And I also thought that she embedded a lot of emotion into telling the doctor that she was going to miss him. Mm. And that also was a pretty powerful line, you know, a very emotional statement from Leela. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, so this definitely had a lot um, going on in it. And we haven't really mentioned this uh, so far, but actually when we were watching this, we accidentally skip the third episode and watch the fourth one and then had to go back. And frankly, like, other than, like, a few, you know, lines <laughs> explanation, we really didn't need the third episode. <laughs> so I feel like this whole story could have been compressed into four episodes and that it would have been, you know, better. Less um, staircases. I didn't mind the Centaurans and the staircases, I think, as much as some other people might have minded it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there were definitely uh, flaws in this one, but it's also a very entertaining story, and I'm not generally one to sit through, like, a six-part or, like, a beyond a four-part, you know, story very much, but this is would be one of the ones that I would go back to because it, it is very entertaining and there is a lot of really awesome, you know, stuff in it. So I'm going to give this one a 7 out of 10. I would say this is a very entertaining ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey mess. <laughs> and I say that with the idea that, yes, we have a lot of entertaining characters and actors who just kind of are thrown together in a convoluted plot hole filled story and I'm not saying that it's necessarily bad but it also is not necessarily good kind of like the Castellan (laughs) I'd put him as bad I'd say that he's kind of neither he's just kind of in it for himself that would be like the definition of being bad being only in it for yourself I think if you're evil I think that's depends on in what hand you're wielding him 
I think he was also not trying to hurt or harm, well, I don't know. any rate, more importantly, I would say that this mess uh, gets a 5 out of 10 for me. It is not, does not, it is definitely not in my top 20 Tom Baker stories, let alone top 20 stories. Um, it's, it, it is what it is. It does have a lot of, of humor um, or humorous parts, and I think it does have intrigue. Um, and that's why I would give it five points. Um, but there's just too much going against it for me to get much higher than that. It, it falls it, it falls into... Don't you want to just sink your teeth into the juicy, meaty, time-lord lore of the episode? Well, The Deadly Assassins feels like it. that kind of worked for me in that regard. And we maybe do have I, other... Maybe when I get to The Deadly Assassins. We did already. We did that uh, one already. president in that one? The, he he got he got head. elected as president in that one. The president then, elect. Yeah, and then this one he actually got inducted. Yes, so that was the one where the master's all decrepit and and tries to. It goes in. They both go into the matrix. The uh, doctor and. Is, I, I thought it was a lot more fun to just see the doctor seize power. Like I just had like a fun romp with this. Like hmm. honestly, I, I maybe this is sacrilege as a Doctor Who fan, but. I don't think a lot of the stories make that much sense, especially in Classic Who. I think a lot of things are really stitched together, and, you know, they're explained by a one-liner here and there. But this was fun. I, I like this. I feel like the, the last couple went in a different direction. But, you know, I, I can stare this in the face and know that it's a mess of a plot and things didn't work out and still say... It's a really good episode of Doctor And some people do actually really like this. So it's not like that's... It's okay to have a different opinion. That's one of the things I wanted to... Like I, I don't disagree with anything you guys are saying, but <laughs> yeah. I, I still feel like it... It entertains you. some more love. I mean, I was... Like, if I... You asked me again, if I was entertained, I was very entertained. But I didn't feel a story. I felt, I felt like we had bits... And that, that's what we're doing. We're just following bits. Well, I think there was a story, but I, it was a con- but it got convoluted when you went with certain elements, like that, having too many different characters. It, it, it almost felt like invade. this episode was like a parody of Doctor Who so, to some so to I, some degree. Michael, what I meant by not a story is exactly what you're saying. Like there's too much going on, and simple is best. This was not trying to be simple, and it was trying to be way too many things going on. And that's all I'm going to try to say. It was good. I mean, it was fun and entertaining. Like, I didn't have a problem other than the fact that when, yeah, we, I, we, skipped, when we skipped an episode, went back an episode, I kind of zoned out a bit. And you, it also meant we didn't need that episode. Yeah, it did really, you know, that veil was lifted a little bit. <laughs> I mean, if you want to talk about one of the things that really brought it down, though, when you are a super advanced civilization, which has control of time and space and basically yeah, you have savages <laughs> also those weird little ball things that they use as like communications that, that was very weird to me I was like in what world would they have such an inconvenient piece of technology I don't know it was uh, well they, they said the savage thing at least was because like some people just rejected the time lord way of life and oh, I, I, some I, people were kicked out and Oh no I got that. No no I got yeah, the, they I just got their explained re- it with a line or two and really no, like no. what you think should be a really advanced, sophisticated society that has learned these lessons over time is really just like Oh, you know, aristocracy and savages out there. (laughs) That's kind of, yeah. No, but I think that's right on on par for Time Lords, like, consistently throughout the series, is we see a lot of that, them being like, we're better than everyone, and we're not going to get involved in your stuff. You're right. It just seems like with that amount of, like, perceived wisdom, and, like, when we see them, like, have heart and kindness too it doesn't line up with how they have structured their planet over time when they have structured the whole universe in you know a more meaningful kind of thoughtful way it seems this story actually kind of is about their power and control this story actually kind of did kind of breach that that concept with the whole kindness and 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 friendship and those kinds of things because the doctor is trying to explain to Verusa don't you want don't you like Gallifrey don't you want to save it um, and he's trying to get that emotional response, and the Time Lords are capable of it, and Verusa proves that, but 
for the most part, they're putting up this kind of elitist kind of shield to make them seem like they are far more grandiose and, and ridiculous, I guess you might say. Yeah. They're, like, extremely British. Yeah, though I, yes. I have to say, they picked a really weird location for their citadel in the middle of a, a rock quarry. Well, well everything's in a, like that. Everything in Doctor Who's in the middle of a rock quarry, so that's kind of a given. Maybe it's to, <clears throat> to show the absolute difference they have with the rest of the world. It's sort of... Well, I mean, here's, here's the other thing. You're living in a wasteland, and you're extremely intelligent and have access to a bunch of resources. I mean, wouldn't you build a city to live in instead of the wasteland? <laughs> well, I think they're, the modern equivalent is there's like this one city that's being built like vertically, but it's in like the middle of the, the desert or something strange like that, but it's to show just how uh, great we've gone past um, past this desert to be able to build a, sit, a complete thriving city within it. Sort of just to prove that we could. In other news, we did also watch the Doctor Who new Ident that is, is uh, advertising the Hooniverse, which is now on BBC iPlayer. And I must admit, that was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It was it was pretty cool. It was neat. Yeah. It was 15 seconds long. Yeah, they it could... Quick, but it, says some, it has implications. It implies that the world of Doctor Who is no longer... Just limited to Doctor Who itself. There are going to be other branches, other series, perhaps. Maybe some other movie tie-in. I don't know. Maybe there'll be a Marvel, a graphic novel. Russell T. Davis is trying to get all of Doctor Who on one platform, and this is his start. One, I would have said, I would have liked to have seen it slightly longer, so they could have included all the Doctors on the W and more companions on the H. But, um, yeah, I get it. <laughs> Do what you can. Yeah, and, and it can be something, too. Like, I know um, it does have some Marvel vibes, you know, with oh, very. all the different characters within the letters. And I know they change it up, too, from time to time. And you see different characters and different impactful scenes. Yep. Right, and they can take the same kind of model here. They, they're not limited to just those companions True. that were shown in this video. Yeah, I think the the initial one though they were probably highlighting the ones that were most popular or at least se- seemingly the most popular. And I think Amy and Rose were definitely a good prominent force to be reckoned with. Not to mention that the actresses are pretty famous. Yeah, <laughs> that helps. It does help. Any rate, well, thank you for listening to the Hooving Review. Um, I hope you all have a good night and. We are getting excited because we're getting closer and closer to the 60th the anniversary. The 60th anniversary. <laughs> Specials. Specials. Which start airing on November 25th. November so. 25th. <laughs> uh, All right. Good night, everyone. <laughs> good night. Thank you, Shelby. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.